This evening we'll be looking at what is known as the biblical canon. And when we say canon in this context, we're talking about the books of the Bible. So this evening I want to show that we can know that we have the writings that God intended for man to possess. There are a lot of books out there designed to help you understand how such things come about and help you to understand some of the history behind uh, the, how the books of the Bible made it into the into the Bible, I should say, uh, various manuscripts and how the how the transmission of the Bible happened over the years in different languages and things that have taken place. Uh, it's not my desire to talk about most of those things this evening. Uh, I'm going to be focusing primarily on this idea of the uh, biblical canon and the uh, how we got to have the books that we have today. The first link in the chain from God to us is inspiration, which concerns what God did, namely that he breathed out the scriptures, as we talked about last time from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. Uh, the second link is the canon, which relates to the question of which books God inspired, because there are a lot of books out there that are not actually inspired of God. There's a lot of things. You have the book of Enoch and various others that I can name, that I can't think of all of them right now, uh, that are out there that have for some, how are included in their various uh, uh, Bibles and and things such as that, various other groupings. But for the Bibles we have it today is what we're concerned with. So we want to first begin by looking at the definition of canon and it, and the idea that it is indeed closed. And so that's where we want to begin with. And we want to first think about uh, the literal definition of this of canonicity defined. The original meaning goes back to the Greeks who used it in a literal sense, a canon, spelled here with a K, was a rod, ruler, staff, or measuring rod. And so it was no doubt used in very much a, a literal sense. In the theological sense, from the literal from the literal ruler, the word was extended to mean a rule or standard for anything. And so that's some definitions for us to think about when we think about canon. Well, the Bible is our standard. The writings of God is our standard. And so we want to think about, we want to look at some descriptions of the canon and what that includes. You know, think about the canon described. We first want to think about the sacred writings. An inspired or, or canonical writing was considered sacred and was kept by the Ark of the Covenant, according to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 24 through 26. Authoritative writings, another concept that is synonymous with canonicity, is authority. The rulers of Israel were to be subject to the authority of the Scriptures. Then we have the books from the prophetic period. The books written from Moses to Malachi in the succession of Hebrew prophets were considered to be uh, part of the canon. If a book was written after the prophetic period, it was not considered part of the canon. If it were written within the prophetic period, in the succession of the Hebrew prophets, it was considered part of the canon. When we think about 
the definition and some of these descriptions about these sacred writings, the authoritative writings, and the books from the prophetic period. We also want to consider how the canon, or the, the books of the Bible, the books that can be included in the Bible, is closed. What we mean by that is there are no other books that we're going to add to the Bible. We have all that we need. It is closed in a theological sense in that God has only inspired so many books, and they were completed by the end of the apostolic period, that is, first century A.D. God used to speak through the prophets of the Old Testament, but in the last days he spoke through Christ, Hebrews 1 and verse 1, and the apostles whom he empowered with signs or miracles. Because the apostolic age ended with the death of the apostles in Acts 1 verse 22, we have that reference there, and because no one since the apostolic times has had the signs of a true apostle, the apostle notes there in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, therefore they, uh, whereby by these signs they could raise the dead and various things, as we find in Acts 20 verses 10 through 12, and they also could perform other supernatural acts, as we find from Acts chapter 3, uh, 1 through 10. It can be concluded then that God's revelation is complete because God did reveal the written word to us in the New Testament times through the through His Son and also through His prophets. And when those prophets died, all that reveal, all that revelation was then complete. There are therefore no new revelations for the church. So that's what we mean. When we say in a theological sense it is closed. In a historical sense, there is no evidence that any special gift of miracles existed since the death of the apostles. The immediate successors of the apostles could not accurately claim new revelation, neither did they claim special uh, gifts that they used to confirm their message was from God. If you remember when individuals received the miraculous, it was either by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or they had, they had the, the hands of the apostles laid upon them. If it wasn't one of those, then they didn't have the miraculous, right? And so naturally, when the apostles died, no one could pass on those gifts anymore. And so when those who even had the gifts remained, when they passed away, well, that was the end of it. In his providence, God has guided the church in the preservation of all books that are included in a canon. These canonical books are those necessary for faith and practice of believers of all generations. And so as we think about this, just to sum up here, and I know there's a lot of information here, and so if you want to have this outline afterwards, you can ask me and I'll give it to you. Uh, but we, as we look at this, this, this definition of the canon, what it meant it being a standard, it being described with the sacred writings and the authoritative writings and the books in the prophetic period, and how now the canon is closed, nothing else is to be added to it. That means we have those individuals say today that they have a new revelation, or they received a revelation from God. You can tell them, or you can know, if you want to be more polite about it, know that they're not correct, because there are no new revelations from God. Things are being revealed from God. We know today there are those who call themselves the Latter-day Saints, which is an inaccurate, unscriptural term to use. The saints are those who are, we have obeyed the gospel. There are no such thing as Latter-day Saints. And then we also know they have their own books that they have come up with much, much later, obviously, than the original books of the Bible. And we can know by that and many other things as well that those things are not included and should not be included or even counted as being equal to the books that we have in our Bibles today. 
We want to continue by looking at what is called discovery and recognition. That is how the canon or how the books of the Bible were determined. By definition, canonicity is determined by God. We mean by that is the books that God inspired, only ones that can be included. Therefore, they are determined by God. We know that men rewrote those things down, but God is the one who actually spoke those things out. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. A book is not inspired because men made it part of the canon. Rather, it is part of the canon because God inspired it. Canonicity is determined or established by authoritatively by God. It is not, it is merely discovered, rather, by man. And so God is the one who makes it authoritative because he has breathed those things out. He is the one who has revealed those things to man. Man is the one who has heard those words of God, had those things revealed to him, and he therefore writes them down. But he is not the one who decides that it's part of the canon. God does by, by those books being either inspired or not inspired by him. Distinction. God determined the canon and man discovered it in the sense that man discovers what God has inspired we do not include those things which are derived or originated with man. How was the canon discovered is the next thing we want to think about. How were the books of the Bible discovered or determined? There are some principles that are involved in this. They don't just go out and decide, okay, well, this sounds like it agrees with everything else, so that's what we're going to include in it. No, one of the first things they consider was the book written, was the book written, by prophet of God. If it was written by a spokesman from God, then it was the word of God. Why? Because they are a spokesman of God. A spokesman of God is someone who literally just speaks the word that God has given to them. And how could they confirm that? In the New Testament time, we know, for, for example, the apostles confirm it by their, by their miraculous things, they would, miraculous signs that would uh, confirm their word was from God. Uh, the prophet of God would speak in the Old Testament time, God speaking directly to them. <clears throat> a prophet was the mouthpiece of God. You think about Amos chapter 3 and verse 8, references that very same idea. In fact, if you go over to Amos chapter 3 and verse 8, he talks about how because these words are from God, how could he but speak? Amos 3 and verse 8. And now, if you notice here, was the, was the book written by a prophet of God the first thing? The second is, was the writer confirmed by acts of God? Due to the presence of false prophets, there was the need to have divine confirmation of true prophets, and miracles were used for this purpose. Do you remember, I think of one example, one that always sticks out in my mind, is that challenge on Mount Carmel with uh, the prophet of God and the prophet of Baal, right? How could they know who was serving the one true God? The one who responded with fire. And we know how that worked out. But they were, they were going to have their message confirmed by God, by the acts of God. Did the message tell the truth about God? You think that would be an obvious one, but some things, you read some books today that are, we find later, I said we find, are discovered later, they're very interesting, to say the least. In fact, with Don Boy, I was listening to one of his lessons recently, he talked about one of these books that were found, that's not included in our canon today. And it talks about a fishing trip that Christ had with some men 
beside the pools of water. He, I can't remember everything he said, but it had no teaching involved in it whatsoever. It was completely different from beginning to end, that whole segment, than anything we find in the Bible. Nothing whatsoever. No, nowhere in the Bible do we read about someone's mere fishing trip, do we? No, there's always a purpose behind it. But nonetheless, that's some of the things you find in some of these other books that are not inspired of God. Did the message tell the truth about God? Does the book tell the truth about God as we know from the previous revelations? If it tells things that are not in agreement with other books of the Bible that we know are inspired, if it disagrees, then we can say, you know what, this isn't matching up because it's disagreeing with other books that we know are in fact inspired of God. Does it come with the power of God? The Word of God is living and active, Hebrews 4, verse 12. Therefore, ought to have a transforming force for edification, 2 Timothy 3, verse 17, and evangelism. Now think about it this way. It should actually be beneficial to mankind. It should be beneficial to those who are reading it. Does it actually come with the power of God to save and to, to help and to lead mankind to God? And if it doesn't, why would we have such a book? We think about these things, we think about the canyon, we think, this may seem to some as if this is an interesting lesson, and indeed it is. We all know we've heard people on television selling The Pearl of the Great Price, a book by the Latter-day Saints. Uh, The other book, I can't think of what it's called now, uh, they have out as well. And there's other religious so-called books out there as well that people are trying to pass off as being inspired and another revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, on the cover of one of their books, it says another, another revelation of Jesus Christ. But that itself is contradictory, isn't it? Peter tells us, at least Peter tells us, that God's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Therefore, there are no new revelations today. He's given us everything we need, and we have all those things recorded for us today. Some lessons for us to think about. The first thing is, who is responsible for the canon? Who is responsible for the books that make up the Bible as we know it today? Well, God is solely responsible for determination, for determination of the canon, and man is responsible for discovery of the canon, in the sense that we, we, we have God speaking through the prophets, and we find, we hear, we find those writings, those recordings, we read them, we, we can justify how they are inspired of God, and then we include all those books that fit those tests we've already talked about as being inspired of God, and we put those into one singular book that we know today as the Bible. A Bible is canonical, or excuse me, a book is canonical due to divine, to, to divine inspiration. It's not, it's not part of the canon or part of the Bible simply because Man decides it is, but it's included because it is inspired of God. How can we know, kind of a recap here, how can we know what books belong? Was it written by a man of God? Evil, wicked people do not write books by God or for God, right? You know, we have historians that will affirm things like Christ's presence, and some of the things he did, but they're not inspired men of God. They're not writing books about God. They're just historians who happen to record certain events that include characters like, for instance, Jesus. But was the book written by a man of God? 
who was confirmed, uh, was it rather confirmed, uh, was this book that was written by this man of God, was it confirmed by an act of God? Did it tell, did it tell the whole truth about God? Or tell the truth about God? Did it come with the power of God? If you were to pick up one of those books, I think I may even have one in my office, there's supposedly another revelation of Jesus Christ. And you go through and you start flipping through it. You'll find it sounds completely different than any other book of the Bible, any book of the Bible that you ever read. You can pick a book of the Bible, pick one of these other books, and you'll see this sounds so different. And one, that's one of the ways we can understand that doesn't belong because it doesn't fit. Its teachings are not correct. It doesn't line up. It sounds odd and out of place. The words that he recorded Christ as, as saying doesn't even sound like something he would say, not even on, you know, in any occasion. They don't have what we might call the ring of truth to it. We think about these things. We think about the books of the Bible because we want to understand this the best that we possibly can because there are critics out there who would ask, well, how do you know what books should even be included? You know, so many of those things are passed down. And one individual I heard, I was listening to some things earlier this week, they referred to the Bible as just a myth, a, a full, it's a book full of myths and stories. Why? Because they have disagreements about the books of the Bible. One, because it convicts them of their sin, but two, because they want to they don't know enough about their sin, how we even have the books that we have. And when you start looking at the books like this, and start looking at the books of the Bible, considering who wrote it, who, you know, it being inspired of God, its content, it, what it says, and what it includes, and what it, what, doesn't, what it doesn't include, we can begin to see very clearly why we have those books included in the Bible, and understanding, at least to some degree, knowing why we have those books included today. But for us today, it should bring us comfort that we know we have the writings that God intended for us today. We look in the Bible, we can read those books from beginning to finish, from start to finish, beginning to end. And we can find, yes, they were inspired of God. Yes, they're written by men of God. Yes, they tell the truth about God. Yes, they have the power of the Word of God. Yes, they have confirmation from God. All those things. We can know that we have the books that God desires for us to have today. But now it's time for man to obey the message that's contained within those books. We think about these 66 books of the Bible. Now, each and every book, in various lengths, written by various men, written at various times throughout history, now, each one ultimately points us to God. Each one points us to a faith that is to grow stronger in God, to have a stronger trust in God, a stronger loyalty to God, and to have a, be having, be willing to have a heart that's convicted when we sin, so we can make ourselves right with God. No other book in the world is like the Bible. No other book in the world can guide us to heaven can uplift us, convict us, and encourage us to live a life that's not only pleasing to God, but also beneficial to all those around us. Now this evening, I know this is not a lesson that may cause someone to put, up, put, on, put, you know, put Christ on in baptism, but it is a lesson designed to encourage us to remember 
But what we have before us isn't just a mere collection of books, but they are the inspired words of God. And we can know that we have what God desires for us to have, that we have all those writings that God wants us to have, and that we can be encouraged by it. So when we hear about these other so-called revelations, we can understand what the truth of the matter is, and that is that we have what God wants us to have. We have all those things that pertain to life and godliness. This evening, as you think about these things, if we can help you or encourage you in any way, we'd love to do so. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected.